Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of Shock Your Potential. And as you know, this series is something that is near and dear to my heart because I've decided that I want to interview every possible millennial in the planet. Okay, perhaps that's being a little overdramatic, but my purpose of this special series is to really talk about generational issues, some misconceptions, and hearing it directly from the source. And today's guest is not only a millennial, but also works with companies on millennial and generational issues, not just millennials. And uh, I think we're going to get a wealth of information for, so welcome my guest, Kara Saletto. Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michael. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. It's really, um, this has been such a joy doing these interviews. I am learning so much through the conversation. And what I'm learning most is that we just still need to be talking to each other a lot more. So I'll be curious to see what you have to say about a lot of these things. But let's start because this is not only something that affects you personally, but this is your business. So start by telling my listeners and viewers what you do for a living. Sure. So I happen to be one of the oldest millennials. I was born in 1981. And when I started my business seven years ago, I wanted to solve a business problem, and I realized everyone was complaining about millennials. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and not just the not just the older folks, but also millennials themselves. They didn't like to be called millennials, or they were complaining about the people who weren't millennials, and and all of that. So. I found that there was an actual business problem and it was causing communication problems and relationship problems and turnover problems and all different business problems. So I dove into what is going on with the generational dynamics in the workplace. I built a business around bridging generational gaps. Um, Now we have expanded that into all things retention. So why do people leave? Why do people stay? You know, bad management, bad onboarding. We try to fix all those kind of things. So I have a team of trainers and speakers now, and we work with clients around the country to reduce unnecessary employee turnover by bridging generational gaps and making managers more effective. I love it. I also appreciate what you said when you start out, you know, almost with a caveat. Look, I might, I'm the top end of the millennial <laughs> because it's uh-huh. interesting. 
um, you know, the, the years that are defined as the millennial generation actually are a little fluid. And I've interviewed several people from other parts of the world where their uh, time frame with the millennial generation is a little fluid as well. So I think it's interesting. I think it's about what you identify as a part of, but maybe not a whole, not wholly. And I think that's part of a, a great part of the conversation is not any of us are only one thing in any part of our life. Why does this part of our generational category tend to define us so much? Exactly. Uh, in fact, I think of it as a mindset, not a birth year issue, because it's totally based on the way you were raised. And many years ago, if you think about what people had access to, which was much less than we have today, <laughs> it's no wonder that most of the baby boomers were raised, especially if you look at a certain area, like I'm from the Midwest. So if you look at the baby boomers who were raised in the Midwest, most of them had the same exposure, the same upbringing, the same religions, the same type of parenting and what was right and wrong and things like that. So it's no wonder those boomers were very similar in their outlook as adults, where the more technology we had, the more exposure we got, then the Internet came in, you know, and now you have these groups who have been raised so much differently. So each generation becomes more diverse and less or, or more difficult, I would say, to categorize and to stereotype because there are a lot of millennials who are younger than me. So I'm 38 years old, right at the top end there. And there are a lot of younger millennials are what I call old souls. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the ones that, you know, they have a more traditional mindset. Sometimes I'll refer to them as a baby boomer trapped in a millennial body. <laughs> and they hate to be called millennials because they are not at all like me. I am a very typical millennial with a high sense of entitlement, and I know why and where that came from. I have zero loyalty to anyone and any company. Um, I want to be able to be mobile and change my mind and <laughs> change my world if I want to, those types of things. So it's all based on the way that I was raised or the way that someone else was raised. And of course, Gen Xers, they kind of got caught in between the giant boomer and giant millennial group. And I know several Gen Xers who are kind of pseudo boomers and more traditional. And I know several Gen Xers that have a very millennial mindset and they were ahead of their time on, I'm not wearing pantyhose, you know. <laughs> I'm dying my hair blue. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So there's a, there's kind of a spectrum there of a traditional versus more millennial mindset and there's no right or wrong. But today we need to have the conversation around why do people fall in different places and where does that come from? How do we bridge those gaps once we know they're there? I think it's really important. What, a couple of different things that you said. And number one, as you were talking, I was laughing because I'm a Gen Xer smack dab right in the middle. No question about what I am. But I did not, uh, I, I pushed against those boomer um, kind of uh, norms, which was, you know, go to work for a job, try and stay there forever and get a pension. You know, not only were pensions stopping in my time, but I had no, there was no way you were going to tie me down to one company for 30 years. I would lose my mind and, you know, right. a different kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And so I think that those things exist across 
across lots of generations as long as we look for it and understand there is a continuum with it. Yes, exactly. Thank you for paving the way as well, because <laughs> the ones who fell in line, if you think about it, in the States, our demographics look like an hourglass. We had a ton of boomers, less Gen Xers, and more millennials. So it's no wonder that a lot of the Gen Xers tell me, and Michael, tell me if you've seen this or if you've not seen this, but many of the Gen Xers figured out early in their career, if they wanted to succeed, especially in corporate world, they had to play the boomer game. Yes. So then they took on that pseudo boomer mindset of because I said so, and you got to pay your dues and things like that. So you did have some of the free spirit Gen Xers, as I refer to them, that did what you did and said, oh, no, I'm going to make my own path or make my own company, my own career, things like that. But the majority of them really fell in line and they did it either consciously or unconsciously, but they fell in line. And so we didn't see the work world and we didn't see leadership evolve very much as the Gen Xers went into management because they said, well, this is how business is done. And this is what the relationship is between an employer and an employee. And now you have the millennials coming in and saying, whoa, you are way behind the times. <laughs> you should have evolved <laughs> 10 or 20 years ago company to create a better place for people to work and not take advantage of their people. Uh, one thing I see a lot with Gen Xers is they're doing the job of two people. Oh, but, absolutely. Always. Do. Yeah, they they couldn't really push back. They weren't either given the tools and the training to be able to have that difficult conversation with their company, or they just felt obligated. I should be grateful. This company puts food on our table, that type of thing. And so the companies just kept taking advantage of them and piling more and more and more. Now they come to me and say, I got to get out of here. I got to go to a company that has a better culture and, and things like that. But some of them are, are stuck with golden handcuffs because they've worked their way up and they're not willing to sacrifice financially to take a yes. cut to go back to a more normal workload, a more normal, <laughs> you know, um, better balance, right, at home and things like that. Well, one of the things I see, at least from my perspective as a Gen Xer and with some of my, uh, you know, colleagues of the same of the same generation is that one of the reasons I think a lot of us took on multiple jobs and multiple roles within companies, not so much because we didn't think we could push back, but because that was the way that we thought we could stand out to get promoted. So if you can right. outwork that person yes. who's you know, been in that other job, then you are seen as more valuable. And the unfortunate consequence of that is a lot of burnout, a lot of exhaustion, a lot of disenfranch uh, disenchantment and dis disfranchisement. I'm making up words. Yes. I usually do that. No, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> is that a good word? Disenfranchisement. I think that was, that's it. not right in. I know people are right in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like she's making up words again. Um, but, you know, you become, you, you feel this separateness because you're working so hard and usually there's, you know, a benefit to it along the way. You know, there was more money or there were more titles. And yes, at some point in time, you're like, oh my gosh, how do I escape this? And I have a really good friend yeah. right now, and I know he will listen to this podcast because he listens to all my podcasts. And right now he's sitting in his car somewhere in Iowa. <laughs> That's why he knows it's it. And he's almost to the end of uh, the time he needs to spend with a certain company, uh, 
that will be out. He will be eligible for his pension and God love him. He's like, he's got a countdown clock and he's like, where am I going to go to make this kind of money? And he's building what he wants to do in his next stage of his career, which is great. But every time I talk to him, I'm like, okay, we're almost there for another couple days. And actually he's like a year and a couple months now from that point. And now wow. I feel anxious for him because I'm like, what if something happens in the next year and a half? Like I don't, I want to see him get to the end since that is, you yeah. know, that's a goal and he's so close to achieving it now. And I know the relaxation that's going to hit him after that is going to be like, oh, finally, I paid my dues. Right. I hate that concept right. of paying your dues. <laughs> well, and one of the things that's very different about millennials versus the previous generations is that we don't trust any promise like that. Yeah. Because my mom got laid off three times before I graduated high school. And she's been laid off five times total in my life. So I know there are no guarantees. And this whole pension thing, I mean, that seems crazy to me to put a 30-year promise in place of if you work for us that long, then we'll take care of you for life. In fact, here in the Louisville area where I am, we just, I, I have several friends who work at GE. We have Appliance Park here, and there are several retirees who spent their whole career at Appliance Park. One of my friends, another trainer who used to work there, and he's retired, he got a letter about two years ago. He got a letter stating that following that quarter, you know, about three months' notice, his pension checks were going to be less. Oh, yeah. No, no more notice than 90 days and nothing he can do about it. But here he was promised for 30 years that he would have this money. And then they didn't cut it completely. Thank goodness. But they just told him all of a sudden, boom, it's going to be less because we just don't have the money. And so then he's telling a millennial like me this story and says, don't trust any company. <laughs> do not trust anyone. And my mom said the yeah. same, you know, divorce peaked in the 1980s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Layoffs were massive in the 90s and 2000s once the Internet kind of caused globalization and came into corporate America. And my mom always got stellar performance reviews. Someone might be thinking, oh, your mom keeps getting laid off. She must be not a great worker. Wrong. Her bosses love her. She stays yeah. late. She does whatever they say. She has a traditional work ethic of first one in, last one to leave. That's the hardest worker. You know, yeah. they love her every single time as a corporate accountant, her entire department was eliminated. Yeah. They would offshore, outsource centralized, decentralized. Well, your job's going to Green Bay. If you want to go to Green Bay, you can keep it. If you don't want to move, like, no. you have 90 days. <laughs> you know, that's the situation. So, so true. yeah, my mom and others told me, don't, don't depend on a spouse or a mm -hmm. company for your livelihood. You've got to be able to take care of yourself and you have to be able to be mobile. Not that you have to want to be mobile, but you have to be able to be mobile, make sure to keep your skills up, that they're transferable yeah. in case you need to find something else at some point. Well, frankly, I was just having a conversation. We have a you know quarterly review or twice yearly review with our financial um, advisor. And so he's going through our little thing. And you know, I'd love to see our little dashboard where we are. And uh, he said, so, and when, by the time you guys start getting social security, and I started laughing, I go, we are not planning 
on social security being there for me. If it is bonus, but I don't trust it. I just don't, I don't see that, especially, you know, from my perspective, talk about generations having angst against other generations. I'm not so concerned about the millennials. I want to figure out how to market to the millennials, but the boomers, I'm like, you're all going to take my social security. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. And I happen to be working a lot in senior care. So my work is industry agnostic as far as bridging the generational gaps and whatnot. But about half my business is in senior care with nursing homes and assisted living groups because I came from that industry. And so I see that. I see all of these people now that are running out of money. The traditionalists who are before the boomers and the boomers, they are running out of money and then having to go on system, you know, having to rely on the system for those those dollars. So I agree with you. We told our financial advisor just a few months ago, please take Social Security out of the equation because we have to plan for ourselves. I don't think anybody's going to be there to take care of us by the time we retire. And I think there's, it's going to be a huge, huge issue, um, both for Gen X and millennials here over the next 30 to 50 years, for sure. I know. I agree. Well, this has been so fun. So far, we haven't, we've hit one of my questions. So <laughs> I think the dialogue has been fantastic. So let me see if I can hit a couple of the highlights from you from a, from a millennial standpoint, which I think is going to be really interesting because at the top end of it, you are going to have, I think, different answers than some of the other people that I've interviewed, which is great. But my, my next question is, what's your favorite free time activity? Sure. So I'm a mom and I have a five-year-old at home who is so much fun. Um, I'm also a major, major extrovert. I love people. I love spending time with people. I would never, ever figure that out. Right? (laughs) So it's probably not going to shock you, Michael, that my absolute favorite activity is play dates. Um, where I get together with other parents and their kiddos. And so we try to schedule multiple play dates a week with kids and, um, you know, on the weekends or evenings, things like that, especially because my son is an only child and he's also an extrovert for sure. (laughs) So we're always out going to a park with somebody or going to play on the playground at the mall if it's too cold outside um, or going to somebody's basement to play bowling in the basement, you know, things like that. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. I've enjoyed this question with uh, all the millennials I've interviewed so far because I think that in my generation X, and you'll, I think you, because of where you are on this continuum, I think you may have experienced this too. And it goes back to a little bit of our earlier dialogue is that I found that there was a huge portion of my life where I didn't have as much real enjoyment of free time activity. I might have had some, but I didn't enjoy it as much because I was always worrying about work. I was very focused Mm -hmm. on that. And so I've worked really hard in my life, especially the last 10 years, to find appropriate balance. But what's interesting to me is that I assumed that when I asked the question first, you know, to my, my guests that asking what they did for a living and then asking what they did for free time, I made the assumption that they would be you know, really feel like there was a lot of balance. Because one of the questions, you know, is do you feel you have a good balance? And the responses to me have been really surprising because I expected based on all the things we say about millennials that they're having so much fun and they, you know, don't care about anything else. And 
almost to a T, every single one is like, I have free time activities. I love them. But most of the time I am working and I'm stressed and I can't say that I have good balance. So, you know, what's your perspective on that? And what do you see in, in relation to those questions, given the work that you do every day? Yeah. So previous generations um, had the parents had a situation where a lot of the baby boomers became workaholics to some extent. And that was when we switched from the punch clock world over to you stay till the job gets done. So I had a father who was a total workaholic. He started his own practice and he um, worked nights and weekends and was just always at his office. I would go in and vacuum for him on the weekends and take him lunch and dinner and, you know, things like that when I could. Um, so I saw that and I made a very conscious decision that when I especially became a parent that I was not going to do that. Now, it's easier said than done for sure, but... I think that we have kind of a three-legged stool of of the balance equation, and you can't have them all, or it's very, very difficult to have them all. Some people find the magic formula, but I think you're either you're either going to get more money, have more time as far as free time, quality time, that kind of thing, or more of the happiness factor. You're following your passion and doing what you love. And so if you want to follow your passion and do what you love, that's fine. But you're either going to have to work really, really hard and spend a lot of time to make enough money. Or if you want your free time and your happiness, you're probably going to have to sacrifice some money and not make as much as you could if you went and took a corporate job that you didn't love as much. Right. So that's kind of the way that I think of it. And as I started my business, uh, and even even before that, when I was working for other people, I made a conscious decision that I did not, I was not shooting for six figures. I was not shooting for, well, I got to make a certain amount of money to be happy. I said, I want to make enough to be comfortable and to not be stressed about money, but I would much rather sacrifice some of the money that I could be making in order to have the free time and the happiness that I love. So I've consciously done that. Now, as a business owner, I do that by delegating. I delegate, Mm -hmm. delegate, delegate, and I pay for it. I'm not just delegating for free. I pay for staff, for virtual assistants. I outsource some, you know, marketing projects and copywriting and anything that I can, bookkeeping, those types of things. So that at 5.15, when my husband brings my son home every day, I shut my laptop around 5.15 and I don't get it out again until morning. Now, I may check a few things on my phone as they come in, but I'm not really working nights and weekends. Um, So that has been a really, really good thing for me. Even personally, I delegate out some things. Now, I happen to do my own cleaning. Uh, My husband, luckily, is very, very organized and loves, uh, not loves to clean, but loves to have a clean house. So we have divided (laughs) that and we schedule every Sunday is when we clean. We make sure that we get all of that done. So that's kind of scheduled. But even personally, I will delegate and pay for other things to be done uh, in my life that, that I don't want to do or have time to do again, because I want to spend time with my son. I'd rather play sorry and guess who, um, than do those things or have that money. 
So that's a, a conscious decision. And also, just for the people that are listening, um, please know that there is a huge difference between having one kid and multiple kids. <laughs> oh, gosh, because yes. a lot of my mom friends, you know, who are working full time and they have multiple children, that's multiple baths to give. That's multiple sick days that they give each other. They pass along. Oh, it's yes. multiple sports that you're running them around to for practice and things like that. So um, while I honestly wanted to have more children, we can't have more children. And I think that it made me realize that just having the one that's a huge blessing to us it's very different and it actually helps with the work-life balance because um, it, it is a lot less of a load with his schedule and, and things like that. So it does make a difference. I just like to bring that into the conversation for a dose of reality for folks too. I think that's, that's really key. And, you know, and, and it's interesting to me with people who's like, don't think they can afford to farm some things out, for instance. And, you know, it really is a matter of choice. And I'm not saying that everybody can, but I, it, it, I think it comes down, a lot of things in our life come down to, is this worth that to me? And if so, how much is it worth to me? And how can I, how can I incorporate it? Yes, <laughs> so agreed. We're, we are actually almost out of, the, out of our time. We didn't get to all the questions, but I feel like uh, we covered a lot. And when I, the last question I'd like to ask you is this. We, I didn't plan for this question at all, but as we were talking, I've been thinking a lot about people who are really stuck in that mindset, who are maybe frustrated with millennials that are in the workforce with them and that they're, you know, that they might be listening to this going, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I'm frustrated with them. We've got a lot of them in our office and I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with them at times. What do you say to help people bridge the gap between what they view as a millennial or, or the misconceptions or the real conceptions they have about millennials, how do you help them to maybe stop, take pause and, and readjust their mindset so that we can have more effective communications between the generations? Right. So two things. One is try to understand that continuum or that spectrum of different mindsets that the way it's always been done was for a reason. Um, and for example, when people grew up with very little technology and they had, for example, the baby boomers had records their whole childhood. And yet my experience with technology and music as a child was from cassettes to CDs to Napster to iPods to smartphones during my formative years. So that makes me more apt to want change, to desire change, to drive change, where someone at the other end of the spectrum is going to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So getting the backstory of the two different perspectives or two different ends of that spectrum is really important as a manager, leader, and a Gen Xer. Most Gen Xers can bridge the gap really well because they can see both sides. Uh, they typically fall somewhere in the middle. Then once you can understand both sides, my, my most helpful piece of advice, I think, is don't forget to communicate your expectations especially because somebody who doesn't think like you do or wasn't raised like you were, they don't know how you were raised. They don't know how business has always been done. They don't know what the expectations are. So at my first job, nobody told me I had to keep my shoes on all day. 
And uh, yeah, it wasn't in the handbook. It wasn't covered during orientation. We had a small office of 10 people, no visitors. So I thought it was fine to take my shoes off and walk to the copier barefoot. And most people didn't care, honestly. But there were a couple people who had a more traditional mindset and they judged me as unprofessional and immature, inappropriate. And until someone came to me and said, Kara, I think people would notice the good work you're doing if you kept your shoes on all day. (laughs) Until I knew that. I had no idea I was missing the boat. So please, whether you're a younger person trying to work better with with more traditional-minded people or you're a more traditional-minded person trying to work with more millennial-minded people, you have to communicate your expectations and share where you're coming from uh, in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page and to find that new happy medium. Got to find some new common ground today. I love it. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have stories like that as well. Kept my shoes on, but right? other, other related stories. Carrie, thank you so <laughs> much. And if anybody wants to find out more about you and your company, what's the best way for them to reach you? Absolutely. Our website is wereduceturnover.com. And my name is Kara Saletto. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and everywhere you can expect to find me. Perfect. We'll also have all your contact information in the show notes. So I thank you so much for being a part of our little experiment today. And I look forward to staying connected. Excellent. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.